Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The good news I preach is not some human message that I was given by men. It is something I learned only through a revelation of Jesus Christ. St. Paul, who speaks these words to us today, reminds us that our whole mind, all our thoughts, our desires, our aspirations should be focused on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He tells us also that whilst we once knew Christ according to the flesh, we know him like this no longer. He also says, keep your eyes fixed on heaven where Christ is. Speaking about himself, I strain for what is ahead and forget everything behind. If we are engaged in a race, we will lose if we keep our eyes fixed on the next step in front of us. For those who want to succeed, we have to look at the goal, the end. And keeping our eyes fixed on the goal, we should surge, urge our bodies so that we might arrive at the goal. When our Lord walked on the water, the disciples being in the boat, and Peter asked, if it is you, Lord, let me come to you. And the Lord said, come. Peter got out, his eyes fixed on Christ, and walked on the water. The moment he took his eyes off Christ, what happened? He felt the force of the wind. He saw the height of the waves, and he became afraid, and he began to sink. And the Lord grabbed him and said, Why are you afraid? No, he did not. He said, Man of little faith, why did you doubt? If we do not keep our eyes fixed on Christ, we will doubt. And we will begin to sink because we will see all of the forces against us all the forces aligned against us, all the forces that oppose us. We will see those, and we will sink because we will lose faith. No, let us keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Let us specifically keep our eyes fixed on heaven where Christ is. 
And then we will arrive at the throne of grace, the throne of mercy on which Christ our Savior reigns. Death is a certainty. And there are different kinds of death. There's the death of the body, there's the death of the soul. There's death that comes naturally. There's death that's inflicted. There's death as punishment. There's death by accident. But whatever means or manner, it is certain death will come to each and every one of us. So if we're going to die, or rather since we're going to die, isn't it better to die today rather than tomorrow or next week or next year? St. Paul says, I long to be dissolved, to die, so I could be with Christ. If we have faith, wouldn't we want to be with Christ? Doesn't St. Paul also tells, tell us that to be present in the body is to be exiled from the Lord? To be exiled from the body is to be with the Lord? So isn't death better today rather than next week, next year? But I'm sure you don't quite agree with me. Because life is good. Even though it's painful, it is good. And so we need to make the distinction of what death we're talking about. Our Lord himself says that we should be living as if we were dead. That is, what is visible, tangible? We should treat it as if it doesn't exist. And we should strive with all of our might, cunning as serpents, he says, to hold on to that which gives us true life. That is, our faith in Christ, our knowledge of Christ, our hopes in Christ. Why did our Lord raise the young man? He's going to die anyway. He did die again. Why did he raise him? We're told by St. Luke, he raised him because he felt compassion for his mother, the boy's mother, who was a widow, and that the boy was her only son. Out of compassion for someone else, the Lord raised the boy. But with so many widows with only sons who died, why didn't he raise all of them then? The Lord does not work miracles without there being a deep mystical reason for the miracle. Something that is necessary for us to comprehend, to understand, to grasp, so that we can make what he has done and what he has said part and parcel of our lives. Our Lord was, in fact, 
telling us that he is the life, that he is master of life and death. If we read the scriptures carefully, and I trust that we do so, we will find that there were seven resurrections before the resurrection of our Lord. We heard one of them this morning in the story of Elijah and the widow. You notice what Elijah did. He took the boy, he stretched himself on the child and three times he begged, he cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, may the soul of this child, I beg you, come into him again. Did you hear what he said? May the soul of the child come into him again. So we learn an essential Catholic truth denied today. Death is merely the separation of soul from body. The soul leaves, the body dies. The soul continues to live because the soul is immortal from our catechism. There are many foolish people out there who say, oh, there's no such thing as a soul. Or if they do, they say the soul sleeps. Nonsense. And the soul returned. Elijah's disciple, Elisha, similarly raised another boy, a, a, a son of a widow, again. Again, interceding with God, praying. So that's two. When Elisha died, he was buried. There was a funeral procession and some men were carrying the corpse for burial. When a bear came out into the village and what did the men carrying the corpse do? Well, just threw the corpse and ran. The corpse fell on the tomb of Elisha and the man who was dead got up and he ran as well. You think I'm making that up? Read your scriptures. That's three. The fourth, the one we heard this morning. The fifth, the little girl who died in her room and the Lord took three of his disciples, Peter, James and John, who went and raised the child without a prayer. The sixth, the fifth, oh, the sixth is of course the best known, Lazarus. Four days dead, Lazarus, get up. Lazarus, wrapped in the, swaddle, in the clothes, clothes of death, got up and came out. Do we believe these things or is it stories made up in the Bible? Do we believe it? Do we believe it? The seventh, we read in the Gospel of Matthew, when our Lord died, he breathed out his last. What happened? The rocks split open, the tombs opened, and many dead, many dead people came out on Good Friday. You know that story, I'm sure. They came out, and they went into the city, and many people saw them. Do we believe that? It's written in St. Matthew's Gospel. Go and read it. Seventh. The eighth resurrection, the most glorious, is that of our blessed Lord. He rose from the dead on the third day. 
And then Peter raised Tabitha from the dead. And St. Paul raised Eutychus, who had fallen from the second floor onto the pavement and was killed on a Sunday when they were saying Mass. And he was dead. And Paul came out, Paul was saying Mass, came out and said, get up. And the dead man got up. Do you believe that? Acts 20th chapter. Go and read it. We have then these nine, eight, nine, ten recorded incidents of the resurrection from the dead in the Holy Scriptures. Does it end there? No, it does not. Christ founded one church by whose grace I'm a minister and you are members. The gifts that Christ has given for our salvation come through the church and therefore we should not be surprised that the saints of the church likewise have gifts even to raise the dead. When a person is to be canonized, made a saint, in the old liturgy, they used, it was necessary that there be three miracles. Three miracles. These miracles had to be confirmed with the testimony, the affidavits of witnesses. The people could say, I saw with my own eyes, I heard. Nowadays, it's a little simpler. We don't need the devil's advocate. The devil's advocate is a very important post because he would argue against the miracles and against the person's sanctity, but his office has been removed. But before, when there was the devil's advocate, the devil's advocate would argue and bring up reasons that could explain away the miracle as a natural occurrence or whatever. In the archives of Holy Mother Church, there are more than 400 stories of people who have been raised from the dead by the saints. More than 400. And don't think they're a long time ago. Some of them are. But some of them are very recent. Among the saints who raised the dead, we must mention St. Anthony of Padua, St. Margaret of Costello, St. Francis Paola, St. Francis Xavier, Padre Pio. I'll give you an example. St. Anthony was preaching and was having a hard time of it because the people were not interested. Life is good and God is far. And we don't want this preacher telling us how to live. So St. Anthony said, he was desperate. He said, I will show you what is going to be your lot. 
a man had been buried some two days before. Saint Anthony said, open the tomb. They said, he's dead and he stinks. Open the tomb. So they opened the tomb. And a stench came out. Saint Anthony said, get up and tell these people what you're going through. And the dead man sat up and groaned. And his shrieks were so bad that there were instant conversions. This is documented. Witnesses swore that this was what had happened. St. Margaret of Costello was a cripple, hunchback, horribly facially deformed, one leg shorter than the other, abandoned as a child, but always trusting in God's goodness to her. She died. People knew she was a saint. When they came to her burial, the parish priests, parish priests tend to be like that, said, no, she cannot be buried in the church. The people said, Father, she is a saint. He said, no. She has to go through the process. There was a woman who had a child who also was crippled. And the woman pushed her way through the crowd, fell at the coffin of St. Margaret, and said, Margaret, you know what it is like to be crippled. Help my child. The saint who was dead, her right hand rose, stretched out and touched the child who was instantly healed, not only being crippled, but also being blind and dumb. And the child jumped danced and cried out, Mama, Mama, I can see. I can speak. And the hand of the saint went back. The priest then allowed her to bury in the church. You don't believe this, do you? I'm making it up. Well, there are books written on these miracles. St. Francis Xavier who traveled to the East and in its own right hand baptized more than 10,000 people, also have, has raised the dead. Again, it was a, a, a couple whose only son had died. And this is the place called Komorin in South India. I hope to go there one day. The funeral is passing by. The parents are distraught, their only child. Saint Francis, having compassion, stopped the, the procession, got on his knees and prayed. He begged God. And the dead boy got up. The people, in gratitude, the parents, in gratitude, 
place a cross in stone on the spot which, at which it happened. And that cross is there up to today. Because the saints live the life of Christ. They keep their eyes fixed in heaven where Christ is. And the Lord will work his miracles of mercy through them for our salvation so that we might believe. Just as the Lord, out of compassion for the widow, gave her back her son. Death is certain. Can't avoid it. But we have to live each day as if it were our last, as if we are dead. It's called mortification, to be made like death. Does that mean we're gloomy? Far from it. Because death is not the end, but the door through which we pass so that we might be with Christ. And so it's good to meditate on death. In, it used to be part of the spirituality of priests and nuns every day to think about death. But I don't suppose many of us do that anymore. But we should think about death. Why? Because it's certain it's coming our way. And so we ought to keep it in mind. But the particular benefits of it, one of the things about thinking of death, one of the benefits, I should say, is that it removes sadness. When someone dies, we feel the pain, the sadness, because we know we're going that way. We're traveling along that route. Even animals feel it. When uh, one of the members of the species dies, there's a certain sadness because we're diminished. But St. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, I want you to be certain of this, brothers, that you do not be sorrowful as people without hope, like pagans. Don't be sorrowful. Know that we're going to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Also, thinking about it, one of the benefits is that we are no longer afraid of it. In the letter to the Hebrews, we're told that Christ came to free those who were under the power of the devil because they were afraid of death. Fear of death is what keeps us enslaved to the devil. But of course, if we're not afraid of death, we are no longer slaves to the devil. What did our Lord say? Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. That's what the Lord said. So let them kill the body. They can't kill the soul. Fear him rather, who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So, fear of death goes. It also, the benefits, it also helps us 
to be anxious and eager to do the good that is respected, that's expected of us. Because we do good. So that we might receive a merciful judgment. But also, St. Paul says, if our hopes were for this life alone, we're the most miserable of people. It's not. Our hopes are not for this life. It doesn't make any difference in this life whether you're rich or poor. Wealth and poverty come from God. It doesn't make any difference in this life whether you have a title or not, whether you're lord or sir or bishop or pope, rubbish, makes no difference. You're going to be judged. So, what scripture say? The big trees are the ones that are afraid in the wind. The little ones know. Because the wind will strike those at the top. Let us be humble and stay at the bottom and be glad we are at the bottom. Also, one of the benefits, it tells us we should avoid evil. Christ himself says that the good will rise to everlasting life and the wicked to everlasting punishment where the worm does not die. John 5, among other places. What are the characteristics of the dead? When we die, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. That's what we say in our creed. What are we hoping for in the resurrection of the dead? Well, there are four characteristics. The first is, we have the same body. Job says, I will be clothed in my skin. And in my flesh, I shall see God. Not someone else's flesh, my flesh, I will see God. So we have the same body. Our Lord, when he rose, says, touch, see, it is me. Same body. Don't worry. If you're ugly, you're not going to be ugly forever. Because we are going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye. And our defects will become our glory. Because we were put on incorruption. We will be incorruptible. We'll be like the angels, our Lord says. They, when you die, the Lord says, you will be like, they are like the angels. No longer will there be need for marriage and there will be no need for food. Because the true food is the flesh of the Lord. The manna from heaven. That's what will be Enjoying. We will be whole. Our integrity will be restored. All injuries in our body, all deformities will be removed. Or rather, they will be glorified. That's why our Lord kept his wounds. And they're glorious wounds. They speak more eloquently than Abel. He kept the wounds to show that any deformities we have are glorified and it will make us beautiful. And we will be, as St. Paul says, letter to Ephesians, 
we will put on the fullness of Christ, which means we will be in our 30s. So those who die young will be added, years will be added, so they become fully mature. And those who live 100 years, they lose 70. So the aged, the elderly, will be brought back to the prime of life. So we will all be glorious in Christ. So why are we afraid of death? Let's get to it today rather than tomorrow. The bodies, because as I said, we'll have the same bodies. The body itself will be transfigured. This corruptibility will put on incorruptibility. This mortality, immortality. What's that mean? Well, there'll be first and foremost, and this is what I'm interested in, there will be clarity. Our Lord himself speaks about the clarity of the body. The just will shine in heaven like bright stars. That's one. But St. Paul in the letter to the Corinthians, second letter I believe, says, star will differ from star in glory. Meaning that there will be a glory given to each person according to their status and state in life. So, for those who are, if we start at the top, for the bishops, there will be a glory commensurate with their own holiness, but derived from the apostles, because the apostles are the 12 stars. Remember the woman of the 12 stars? Our blessed lady who's queen of apostles. So the apostles have the most, the greatest glory. And then there are the bishops who succeed them. And then there are the doctors, the teachers, and there are the evangelists, all going down. Each star different from star in glory. Our lady gave us an inkling of this when she appeared at Rudibak with the rings. And out of each ring came a different light. So clarity is first. The just will shine as bright stars. Then there will be impassibility, the inability to suffer. I should mention, come back to clarity, that our Lord, of course, when he rose, we're told that he shone. His ascension, he shone, his divinity came through his body. There's also impassibility, the inability to experience sorrow or pain. And that we find in, in the Apocalypse, uh, chapter 21. So we will no longer suffer. There's no more sorrow or grief or pain. Then there's agility so that we can, to quote the Lord, we can run like fire through stubble. When the, the, the stubble or paper is dry and you light set fire to it, what happens? The flames go straight through. That's agility. The bodies will have that. That's why our Lord could pass through doors, the closed tomb, etc. Was our Lord the only one? No, there is some of his saints, even while on earth, before their death, they did it. Padre Pio is a great example of that, recorded by location. But what does it mean? It simply means that the body is able to move through time and space in an instant. Saint Anthony did the same. Saint Francis of Paola did the same. And there are many other saints. Read the lives of the saints. 
And then there is subtlety, which means that the natural body is subject to the soul. In other words, the soul has total control over the body. So we do not suffer temptation. We're not inclined this way and that way and the other way. Anyway. That, however, is if we have been found righteous. If we have not been found righteous, we are in real trouble. Because the exact opposite will happen. Instead of clarity, instead of brightness, there will be darkness. And, as the prophet Isaiah said, their faces will be as if burnt. When Our Lady appeared in Fatima, 99 years ago, on the 13th of July, that's just a week away, will be the 99th anniversary, she showed the children a vision of hell. What did they see? We saw demons and souls of the damned all burnt in the midst of a great fire and they were totally out of control. These children, when they received that vision, were less than 10 years old. Lucio was nine, and the other two were seven and six. They couldn't make that up. It's written in scripture, and I'm sure they didn't tell it from scripture. But the prophet Isaiah says exactly the same thing. So instead of brightness, there'll be darkness. Instead of impassibility, the inability to suffer, there will be great suffering. Our Lord says, their worm does not die. There's weeping and grinding of teeth. Weeping and grinding of teeth. Reminds me of the preacher who was preaching on this very passage. He says, on that day, there will be weeping, grinding of teeth. And this elderly lady in the front view says, but pastor, I don't have teeth. And the pastor said, dentures will be provided on that day. Dentures. There will be weeping and grinding of teeth. So don't think not having teeth, you'll escape. There was agility, the ability to move quickly. The opposite happens. The body is laden down. And what does the scripture say? It tells us to bind their kings in chains and their nobles in fetters of iron. Who is the king? The soul is the king. The body is the servant. The king is going to be bound in chains and the nobles in iron because we've weighted down by our sins. And instead of subtlety, which means that the soul is in charge of the body, it's going to be reversed carnality. 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 Where the body is in charge. So the body weighs down the soul. 
the soul is constantly trying to escape, but is quite incapable of doing so, because it's weighted by the body. As the scripture says, they are beasts who rot in their own dung. So death, yes, it's good to think about death. Our Lord raised the dead. The saints who have raised the dead didn't do so by their own power. Elijah prayed, Elisha prayed. Peter prayed, Paul prayed. Francis and Margaret and so on prayed. But our Lord alone said, little girl, I tell you, get up. Our Lord alone said, young man, I tell you, get up. Our Lord alone said, Lazarus, come out. Not asking, not praying, but commanded. Our Lord alone said, no one has power over me. I lay down my life of my own free will. And as I lay down, I have power to take it up again. Christ Jesus alone is the conqueror of death. We must die. But we need to prepare for our death by living each day as if it were our last. And by keeping our eyes fixed on heaven where Christ is. Everything in this world is rubbish compared to the supreme knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. To him and to him alone belong honor and glory and praise and blessing now and forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.